And now on BBC One, there's just enough time to swing by Mount Peg Towers for a spectral calamity hour with special guest Samuel Hayne. Viewers can go to Interactive by pressing the red button or subtitles on page 999. That is not a bad idea. What are you doing in my living room? The box. You solved it. We came. What box? The box in your hand. That box with the... The remote control. If that is what you humans call it. Yes, it's a remote control. And what do you mean, solved? You discovered the key. 666. No, I put in 999. What? 999 for the subtitles. Oh. You see, that's it's upside down from here. Who are you anyway? We are the Cenobiters. Who? Cenobiters. Well, I suppose that could sound a bit like subtitles if you were asking for it in a noisy pub. Not that I was. Well, look, we're here now. I can see that. You're dripping on the lino. What is it you want? We have such swearing to show you. Well, in this context, that's almost exactly the same job as the subtitles. I can see how the confusion's arisen. And drinking as well. Oh, you don't need to show me drinking, lads. Look, I'm on my second pack of cans and it's not even dark outside. We will show you the error of their ways. Do, do you mean the error of my ways? No, their ways on the podcast. They get stuff slightly wrong all the time and don't notice until after it's edited. Look, we're just here to warn you. Hang on. Are you a hastily scripted disclaimer device hoping to preemptively head off potential complaints and or litigations due to adverse content while playfully capitalising on the supernatural theme of the imminent podcast episode? That's right. This is Cancellerazor. What? Can... Cancellerazor. Like, not getting cancelled, they call it now. You put the emphasis on the second half of the first word and it sounds a little bit like Hellraiser, a bit... And in what circle of hell is that considered an adequate punchline after driving around the houses this long? Get out. Can... can sell... Out. Coming up on tonight's lingering stare into the abyss. Parky's poker face throughout this entire show is fucking exemplary. Isn't it? This, this interview is absolute car crash due to the acting, or rather, lack. Um... Right, flat, expressionless twaddle from the kids, and the mother acts like she's auditioning for how we used to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's this writing in the book that they're talking about. Oh, it, it, it's supernatural. No, no, it's not. That is where the teacher has asked her to create a text font which accurately represented her acting style. <laughs> Unless, of course... There's a floor hatch in there that leads down to the cellar. They and that, well, well, that would mean that Pipes has to appear by means of a ladder. <laughs> oh. Garlic for vampires. It's Wolfsbane for werewolves. I know all about it. All right. Hello and welcome to another annual Halloween special of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because the Betamax video office copy of Scarecrow and Mrs King has got chowed in the machine and some folk have got a right lip on. Yes, hello to you and thanks for crawling into our creepy cultural critique of terrifying television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from this side of the veil because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info of the episode we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we haven't summoned the Dark Ones from their star-stoned prisons yet. Before we give weirdly inappropriate nicknames to the cupboard under the stairs, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? You know, I'm well up for this tonight. So, I'm drinking a beautiful cocktail. Right. It's called Death in the Afternoon. Nice. Oh, aha. Uh -huh. So, it's 25ml of absinthe and 100ml of champagne. OK. And I'm telling you now, I'm three in, so I've stopped measuring. <laughs> and 
I can see three of you. Anyway, cheers. Yourself? I've got a bottle of proper black IPA by the St. Austell Brewery. Oh, St. Austell is making a return. It is. It's, uh, this does exactly what it says on the bottle. It's a 6% IPA that is jet black in colour and is drier than sunbaked sandpaper. Nice. It is absolutely gorgeous, but you do have to drink it ice cold because it's fucking disgusting at room temperature. So, Okay, okay. Is St. Austell the patron saint of arsehold? Yes. Yeah, right, right. Good, <laughs> good. I like it, I like it. All right, with that then, while we wet our whistles, it's time for tonight's spook-induced shenanigans. Not since Metal Spikes threatened to turn magician Paul Daniels into a sieve have we encountered genuinely terrifying live television in the UK until All Hallows' Eve of 1992 when the TV cameras took us to what could be the house down your street. Jinkies, zoinks, cripes. You'd better watch out. Here comes Pipes! Yes, Ghostwatch was a one-off live documentary from the BBC's Screen One stable, originally aired on Halloween night in 1992 at 9.25. Helmed by the inimitable Michael Parky Parkinson, this is a 90-minute delve into the suburban supernatural as a reportedly haunted home in Northolt comes in for the full investigative journalism treatment. Parky's joined in the studio by psychologist Lynn Paskey-Pasco to discuss what's discovered and assisted by Mike Smithy-Smith heading up the phone team, while out on location and actually prodding the ectoplasm are Craig Charlie Charles and Sarah Greeny-Green. And with the West London family still in situ while the camera crew hunt for ghoulies, it's safe to say that to get the most out of this, you're going to want a stiff one in your hand. So let's prize open that boarded-up door. So the burning, the obvious question is did you see this at the time of broadcast on Halloween night in 1992? Right. I'm glad you ask, because we haven't discussed this before we started. I did not see this when it originally aired. In fact, of if, course mem- you didn't. If, mem- if memory serves, I spent Halloween 1992 in your company as we drove yes. around looking for a non-existent party. <laughs> it was that, or we were at the Mayfair, or we were in... We were, we were on the drink. We were on the drink, I'm pretty sure. We were, sure but we, we were looking for a party which didn't I exist. So. Which is arguably yeah. the most appropriate kind for a night full of ghosts. I don't know. Well, maybe, yeah. So, yeah, this completely passed me by. And, of course, <laughs> um, one of the facts that go hand in hand with this legendary broadcast is the fact that the BBC banned it for ten years. It was never repeated. Um, well, they, they didn't, didn't repeat it. You know, you, by that token, you could say that they just ban almost every episode of EastEnders other than the Sunday on Omnibus. I don't know. I wish they would. Is is that the same? Wouldn't you ban it and just not showing it again? Well, it's that they wouldn't allow a, a DVD or a video release or anything like okay, that until, okay, okay, un, fine. until 2002, 10 years later, was the DVD right. release. But yeah, I think you and I were at um, a famous rock discotheque uh, maybe that night, dancing furiously to the sounds of the gothic rock. So um, That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, so I never saw it, of course. So um, <laughs> I bought the DVD about 10 years ago. And that was ah. my first entry into this, yeah. There we go. See, I hadn't actually seen Ghostwatch until I'd researched it for this. Right. Uh-huh. So, for obvious reasons, I'd heard about it and read about it already. Which, let's pop the bubble here, it means that the show's core conceit of being presented as A, live, and B, factual, was utterly wasted on me earlier this week. Well, you and me both, and yeah. So I'm, and I'm, I'm gutted about that because I would have loved to have been immersed in this. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, I'm just looking to at least get into the Atmos, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. And we're helped into that, you know, by the the minimalist intro to the show, so as not to really sensationalise the subject matter. Fucking hell, is is that title sequence on Fast Forward? Are they they, they getting billed by the second off of the typesetter? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It's it's like... um, well, it's it's a bit a montage, very much of its time. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's like an advert for work overalls that you'd expect <laughs> to see on like QVC or something. That's okay. the kind of vibe that I get from it. That, um, that that bit with the crew climbing into the vans is absolutely superb. Yeah, isn't it? Um, but aside from the end, when folk are pointing into the light and that, 
Uh, you don't get any sort of supernaturally we're playing this down, we're playing it for laughs kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get this intro from Parky. We do. Oh, Par- Parky added for gravitas, I feel. He is. I'll get on with this. He absolutely fucking is. He, um, he explains to the viewer that a normal suburban house has been under attack from supernatural activity for the past 10 months. And he's doing this while he's pointing at this glorious array of 16 22-inch television sets racked into a grid to make a huge screen. It's beautiful. Except that it's 1992 and they're CRTs, so there's a border of three fucking inches between each screen. <laughs> yes. It's yes. amazing. It is it's, incredible. It's, it's like a fucking Roman mosaic. It's a Roman... It, it is. It's like something Baron Silas Greenback or Dr Claw would have in their yes. evil headquarters, isn't it? It's... it's <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> God. Parky mentions that um, he gives us a bit of background to the story. So there's this little house. Um, sorry, where was it located? I keep forgetting the name uh, of it. It's place. in North Holt in West London. But, okay, so it's been under investigation uh, for paranormal activity. And he explains to us that um, some university staff have been investigating this, um, mm-hmm. some paranormal psychologists. It, it begs my first question why are they setting up cameras in a kid's bedroom with microphones and that? <laughs> You know what? Seriously, I'm glad you bring this up. I'm not comfortable get, with this at no, no, all. No, no, no. I get why the camera's there, right? Well, yeah, we basically cut to um, some footage from July. The house, right, it comprises of um, the mother, Pam, and the two daughters, Suzanne and Kim. And, yeah, basically the university, they've set up um, cameras monitoring all around the house 24-7, because uh, obviously you just want to catch stuff as it happens. So we have what is labelled on screen as university research footage that's monitoring mm-hmm. the kid's bedroom, right? Are we supposed to believe that, yeah, there's someone watching this live in a different location and controlling the camera? Because that's when, another point, yes. Well, because when the screaming starts, there's a zoom in and then the camera's swooping around the room trying to capture the activity. Correct. So, so is it automated or is there a man permanently in the kid's bedroom the entire time? <laughs> I'd, f- I'd figure it was done remotely because it's up on the ceiling. But basically, not keeping the camera in a locked-off position to film as much of the space as possible is fucking bullshit science. I yes, suspect completely. this university had been a polytechnic three months earlier. Yeah, yes, absolutely <laughs> this. I mean, the ca- the camera conveniently turning and zooming so as to omit the perpetrator of this particular scene completely. Um, yes. Completely, it, it's, yeah, the complete opposite of what they're trying to achieve. Um <laughs> Yeah, it loses credibility. This this whole show loses credibility in that one moment, in that one scene. Um, but my theory is, right, this ghost, this supposed ghost, is yeah. going to appear whether there's people in the room or not, right? Yes. So move the move the kids out and just put the camera in. Yeah. Or just put in, you know, not two children, not two terrified children, literally anybody else who knows the experiment has taken place. The experiment is not on the kids. <laughs> The, the investigators, for a start. Yes, you know. You know. Yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so uh, the sh- it's revealed by Parky that the uh, BBC OB crew and vans are on location at the house. And for whatever reason, uh, Craig Charles has been given the gig as the uh, out- OB presenter. He has. Um, he gives us, to be honest, he gives a standard sort of piece to camera for such items. And then we, it's very sort of, land um, and we cut back to studio Mike Smithy Smith of course mm-hmm. is offering uh, a, a phone number to catch calls from viewers who ha- who've had their own supernatural experiences that's right I will say at this point they've absolutely nailed the tone and the feel of this whole live pretense that they're putting across they've nailed it this is how a BBC live program like this works it could yes. be swap shop it yeah, could yeah. be children in need you know what yeah. I mean it's got that vibe about it it's really good and I think the casting is cracking right this is this is the thing right Parky's poker face throughout this entire show is fucking exemplary isn't it he's pretty much the only one selling it completely right um Mike Smith pulls off the studio work well because, you know, he can do his bit with a straight face, plus he's not actually in it that much. As you've said, Craig Charles, he just sort of gets away with being Craig Charles, plus yeah, he's yeah. not actually in it that much. Now, yep. Sarah Green's a bit more shaky because she's got a lot of screen time with the family. Yep. She's leaning into that. I'll get in, in a minute, I'll get onto why this is a problem. Her enthusiasm papers over a lot of the cracks. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, but it does. It already feels. We're only like sort of four minutes into the program. It already feels like there's a bit too much pantomime about this whole thing. Is, is that yeah. unfair? Yeah, no, it's not. It's absolutely spot on. Um, so Sarah Green is going to spend the night in this haunted house. That's why she's there. Yeah. Um, she's there with the family. Um, mm-hmm. And, well, we, we get a, a little interview with the mother and the two kids straight off. Um, yep. This this interview is absolute car crash due to the acting, or rather, lack. Um, right. Flat, expressionless twaddle from the kids. And the mother acts like she's auditioning for how we used to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean... This is this is my only real bugbear, and this is repeated for this entire programme, right? In terms of what our class is, the documentary footage, when you're out, out there on location at the house in Northolt, this is so obviously acted that it's fucking laughable. Yes. Now, yes. I don't think that the cast are particularly bad. They're not. But no one on the location shoot has studied how people actually behave in documentaries. Yeah. As here and as we go on, the mum and her two daughters, even the psychologist in the studio, they are way too comfortable emoting on camera for this to seem remotely real. That is not what the public act like. That's right. Remember remember that they're supposed to be a traumatised family and a medical professional. I swear to God, they're all two steps away from fucking jazz hands. Yeah. Absolutely and unfortunately, that. because they're in this all the way through, this is a problem all the way through. As a quick aside, I will concede that audiences were a lot less cynical in 1992. Certainly less cynical than fucking me now. If you were watching this live in the moment, that would have suspended the disbelief no end. But again, watching this now and knowing what it is from the outset, the fucking documentary half of this is painful. That That's it. That's a, it, It's a valid point that you really... In watching this, I had to put my... I'm in the 90s watching this right now, and I'm far more naive... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Anyway, we move on, and Sarah Green talks to studio, etc. Now, from a technical standpoint, the cuts are too precise on this. Yeah. So yeah. The, there's no delay, which there absolutely would have been, but when they're talking back oh, and forth... Oh, again, we'll, we'll get onto this more so later, but, yeah, they're giving the impression of a sort of a, a slightly ramshackle live performance. Yeah, but they're too but good every, at this all point. All of the presenters have done too much live television to know that it's not like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, it's certainly it's certainly around the time of the 80s and 90s, the BBC weren't that slick at OBs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, But not through lack of talent, it's just the tech wouldn't allow it to be yeah. as slick. Yeah, so, yeah. But when they've edited this in post, they've been a bit too clever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would have I would have let that be a bit more tatty around the edges, really. So during this little exchange, um, Sarah is talking to Parky, and of course talking to the resident expert that we have. That's right. Yeah, she she's in the studio. She is. I know her face. Well, this is this is what I'm wondering, right? Had none of the Saturday Night audience in 1992 watched Series Four of Never the Twin from eight years earlier? Because, That's it. That's because it. Doctor Doctor Lynn Pascoe sure looks a fucking lot like Lorraine from the first episode. Maybe this That's psychologist's it. sister is an actress. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Anyway, let, let let's not let that derail proceedings. No, no, let's not. <laughs> let's, let, let's not. Um, because well, certainly not. Because now we're going to go back outside and we're going to meet Alan Donescu, who has got an absolutely beautiful sweater, <laughs> hasn't he? <laughs> It is one of it is if the anything in this entire program is about the unexplained, that's the fucking <laughs> nail on the head right there. Right now they're not they're not uh, white dots on the sweater, they're holes in the jumper. <laughs> He's asked somebody, could you please knit me a jumper that is the Starfield from the Doctor Who title sequence from the Peter Davison era, and that's what they've managed to do with a hot needle. Taking half a step back, had none of the Saturday Night audience in 1992 watched ITV's Robin of Sherwood from 1984 to 1985? Because right, I'm pretty... Electronics engineer Alan Demescu sure looks a fucking lot like Walter, like Arab, and like Brabant Con Chief from that programme. <laughs> Maybe this electronic engineer's brother is an actor. A massively fucking overacting actor. Maybe that's it. Who knows? Let, let's let's not let that derail the proceedings. Anyway, no, it's all good. It's all good. 
It's all good. Um, I think it's coincidence myself. Alan Tinescu gives us a beautiful tech explanation in the gallery truck. Um, all of the beautiful screens and things and a massive no smoking sign. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then uh, our cameraman, he's, he's got some great equipment. He's got thermal imaging, infrared on mm-hmm. his bit camera there. Yeah, and Sarah yeah. Green makes a very interesting comment about said cameraman, that he looks like Mike Gatting, famous cricketer Mike Gatting. That's right. She makes she makes a point of saying this, give him a bit of screen time. You know what? I've looked it up. Fair player, he does. Have he a, does? No, he absolutely have, does. Have a gander in the show notes. There's a comparative image there. That is not a bad call, Green. I'll give you that. She's got a good eye for that sort of thing, Sarah Green. She's about to uh, she's about to introduce sound recordist Mike Ayton. Yeah. And she um she says he's the the president of the Aid Edmondson Lookalike Club. Now, I I've got a funny because he then he pulls a face to look a bit like him. I suspect that Sarah sort of means Rick Mail because that's the face that the sound recorders pulls. But even so, yeah. Sarah Green's got fucking cataracts because does he fuck look like either? <laughs> Hey, anyway, back in the studio, and you know what? We're going to take a phone call from the people who are ringing in. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, uh, yes. the first one is, uh, is, is a woman who saw something behind the curtains. That's Ooh. right. I'll tell sure. you what to do, Emma. If you can actually spot up the specific point on that tape where you saw this, this figure uh, and tell one of our operators, we'll yeah. actually spool it back to the point where you tell us, and then I'll get Dr Pasco here to have a, a good look at it, OK? Great. Mind. How's Emma supposed to do that when she's watching live television in 1992? Is is Parky assuming that Emma has taped this, but is also willing to rewind the tape of the programme that she's currently taping and do the production team's job for them? They literally just showed this thing, like, five fucking minutes ago? I like the fact that he's used the word spool. Not many people have used that on, on live television in the yeah, well, 1990s. He knows it's live, that's why I can say it. He knows it won't that's get right, it out. Well, exactly this. What I loved about this little bit, though, was they got a bit clever here. So um, they did ch- the first time we watch it. There is a figure there at the shad- at the curtain. Yeah. And then when they play it back, it isn't there. So they're playing with us, and they're just in case there were members of the audience sat at home watching this on the Saturday night, going, "Let's see what we can see." And then that desired effect. Oh, it's not there, but it was the last time. And then they play it again, and it is shown. I, I like the way they've done this. Yeah, I love this as well. From a from a presentation point of view, you're right. They're switching between different versions of the footage. Um, so again, in the context of a Saturday night living room, this is going to work so fucking well because every time they replay the footage, people on either end of the sofa who are seeing different things are suddenly doubting what they've watched thirty yes. seconds earlier. Yes, it's another reason why this program couldn't work today, since too many people have live rewind on the TVs. That's right. All right. The show rumbles on. We're in the kitchen now. We're in the uh, the, the the haunted kitchen, as we it were. Yeah. Um, we've got apples hanging off the ceiling because uh-huh. they're going to bob for apples and do all of those yeah. traditional things of the Halloween. Obviously. I mean, there's no other Halloween stuff really anywhere else in the house. There's no other decorations up. Not a one. Not uh, a one. It doesn't look pick. like they're trick-or-treating. They're, they're a traumatised family waiting for a BBC film crew to come round so let's hang some apples up from the ceiling. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, there's not, there's <laughs> not a scallop, nor a bat, not nor a one. That house. I know it's not like today when you can pop down to Poundland and kit out your entire house, but still, you're like, do, do, do you think two really fucking traumatised kids are going to want to do this? To actually fucking, yeah. what? What are you getting a Ouija board to play with, Pam? Speaking Let's of just Pam, accelerate the nightmare. Yeah, Pam. Yeah. Speaking of, had none of the Saturday Night Audience in 1992. What's the docudrama Who Bombed Birmingham from two years earlier? Because because <laughs> the mother, Pam Early, sure fucking looks a lot like sister of IRA man from that. Maybe this housewife's sisters is an actress. Maybe it's that. It's not derailing things. It's fine. <laughs> I think it's a coincidence. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you see people who look like other people all the time, apart from Adrian Edmondson, obviously. <laughs> well, yes, yes, you really do. Um, <laughs> the mood gets a little bit dark because somebody has hit a microphone with a brick. <laughs> yes, yes. And Sarah Green's going, can you hear that? And I'm like, Sarah, there's fucking neighbours three houses down who haven't got a telly, they can hear it. You know, um, <laughs> it's so obviously a tapping on the mic. And then we get we get a jump scare from Craig Charles, uh, who's lurking in the cupboards. Who I, li- I like this. With, with a st- I like it. Do you know, yeah, this... No, I do. This is like something from a rent-a-ghost rehearsal script. It's awful. I cringed. He's, he's wearing 
an awful rubber werewolf mask. He leaps out of the cupboard, basically to frighten Sarah Green. It it definitely feels like improvised pattern, but that helps with the illusion that it's live and they're running ahead of schedule and they've got to bring stuff back a bit. I'm I'm fine with that. And again, it's Craig Charles being... He has been Craig Charles in this and he's getting away with it and I enjoy that because he's not having to act into the scene. He's he's just been Craig Charles. He's employed to be himself. That's fine. I like the theory behind it. The execution was horrendous. That's my problem. If anything, I like it because it's horrendous. (laughs) Well, yeah. Oh, but then everything's interrupted. We get a scream from the teenage bedroom as the oldest daughter... Here it is. Here, Here we go. Here we go. She's she's lying on the bed, face down, and no one dare touch her. We're in the first gear now. This is where it starts. This is where it starts. No one wants to touch her because you'll get spelks because her acting is so wooden. God <laughs> almighty. You're There's harsh. a poster. There's a poster of J. Donovan Esquire uh-huh. on the wall, and he's smiling as if he's registering what's happening in the room and thinking, this is bollocks, this. <laughs> but, yeah, it's kicking off now. It's kicking off. It's here that the uh, the visitor, the ghost, gets a name. Yes. Pam describes it. It first manifested as a sort of like a knocking noise, which obviously you get when it comes from, you know, sort of like air in a plumbing system. Yeah, yeah. They thought, oh, is, it, is, it, is it a noise in the pipes? So now <laughs> they're, they're calling the ghost pipes because pipes always sounds like a shithouse door banging in a gale. Hard. Good grief. Pipes? Where pipes. Get pipes, pipes, hey, 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 pipes. Good Mint. grief! Original, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, we're back in the studio, and uh, the uh, the production technicians have finally managed to unearth the mysterious bedroom surveillance VT that they had in place literally fifteen minutes earlier in the live program. So it's just sitting on the fucking desk next to them. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, good Lord. And again, they're doing this thing of... It changes slightly every time you're watching it. I think... I, as much as, you know, we're discussing this, I haven't been through to this level, I think they've got three different versions of the footage there playing back and pausing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that is the case. It's it's really, really nicely done. I like it. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's 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 slick. It's really nice. Um, nice touch. Mm-hmm. We get a glimpse um, of the of the mother's room. She's got two wooden dummy heads on a shelf in the bedroom. What's going on That's, here? Yeah, she's got some voodoo shit going on there. That is weird. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She's, she's like, some stuff. These her. are the ones I stick the drawing pins into. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's definitely uh, been down the pub with Alistair Crowley at some point. That yes. woman. Uh, we get a little another glimpse of the kids' bedroom, and what I did notice: the youngest kid, um, she's got a Care Bear duvet cover. Right. And I thought to myself, I wonder who her favourite Care Bear is. Happy Bear, Lovely Bear. No, it's inability to act, Bear. <laughs> Anyway, that aside, we get taken to show us where Pipes lives. Right. Yeah. I've got it. Right. I've got a question here. Mm hmm. This is Pam describing mm-hmm. the area where they first noticed the actual manifestation of the ghost. Yes. My husband, my ex husband, used to develop his own photos in a dark room under the stairs. You what, Pam? How big's your fucking house? That's a cupboard under the stairs. There's not enough room to stand up in there. That's why the door frame's only four foot high. A dark room. Pam, do you have any idea how much equipment and noxious chemicals and ventilation requirements that entails? You can get the Hoover, a toolbox, maybe a keg of homebrew bitter, but that's your fucking lot. It is. Un- unless, of course, there's a floor hatch in there that leads down to the cellar. And that, well, well, that would mean that pipes has to appear by means of a ladder. <laughs> of course a far more salient point going on here my husband my ex-husband used to develop his own photos in a dark room under the stairs the glory holes we used to call it when i was a kid now it's a well-known marker in paranormal investigations that sensitives have often been subjected to previous trauma 
And yeah. obviously one of the hurdles that has to be cleared is deciding whether the subject has heightened awareness because of this or whether the entire episode is a form of psychosomatic PTSD. And what's happened here is Pam and her daughters are sad that the family's fallen apart after Daddy used to spend too much time at the Glory Hall. I don't know, should we just leave that one there? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely this. This is this is insanity. They know what they're doing, though. They do know what they're doing. Of course they because know. Because there is, there is uh, <laughs> there's a little line later on where they mention that the mother has gone in there and all they could hear was their mum banging in the glory hall. Um, so uh, where she was trapped in it. Well, you know what? They later know exactly. on... Later on, there's a story that starts about a glass coffee table. I'm just amazed there's not a fucking punch bowl full of car keys there. <laughs> right, absolutely. Enough absolutely. of that. I wonder, because this cupboard under the stairs, as we said, it's very, very small. It's not, it's not even two foot deep, mind. How does she get the hoover out? The carpets are inches thick of shit. But it's the little details in the writing and the production throughout. Like yeah. here where she's describing pipes having breath like rotten cabbage. That's very evocative. It's not something you smell every day, but it's very evocative. I like that. It is. It and is. Yeah, they're talking about stopped clocks. Later on, mm-hmm. you've got, like, the hospital photos of Suzanne Scratches. There's the exercise book. You see you see sort of like the scrolls writing in the exercise book, but on the other page, there's this child's drawn of a crucified figure that's never fully in frame. That's and right. All of that is fantastic. And then here in the same scene... Pam brings out a bunch of newspaper clippings which are clearly printed on A4 copier paper and don't look like actual newspaper articles in the way they're laid out. Are you looking at my notes? All of these sheets are blank on the reverse side. Even if they're photocopies, yes, why would you yes. Why would you then have cut them out into newspaper shapes? Why? Uh, that's right. Absolutely <laughs> that. Uh, absolutely that. You mentioned the exercise book. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. There's a picture of pipes. Uh, and then there's this writing in the book that they're talking about. Oh, it, it, it's supernatural. No, no, it's not. That is where the teacher has asked her to create a text font which accurately represented her acting style. <laughs> Hence, it looks like she was trying to write an essay whilst falling off a cliff in a burning car. Michelle Wesson, if you're listening to this, well, I, I'm not... I'm sorry, he's not. But that's not supernatural writing. She's written that with her arse. <laughs> so, things are mounting. The tension is mounting quite nicely here. We're getting it to is. a nice point. I think it's the perfect time. I would love to be distracted by things. Things. Let's look at the things. For years, I've haunted the antique shops of Europe, searching for antiques to breathe life into the rooms yeah. of my own. What's that? T- turn the, turn the, the sound down. Guild, Hang on. I've... Yep. There it is again. Yeah, this is a bit too close for comfort, this mind. What is that? No, I'm scared. I'm going to have to go home here. Whoa, oh, that's all right. It's just producer Kenny's finally waking up. God almighty. Oh, right, OK. Uh, just in time as well. There we are, the things, the Halloween things. We like them. Oh, what is it now? It's the Ouija board. Producer Ken's left it plugged into the Ethernet. Oh, OK, I'll get it. Hello, not a good time. We're on air. This is Mount Peg Towers. How can I help? Hello. This is... Pollard. Enjoy pod. Good. Next series must feature high, de high, and lobby Tom Davy for reboot. Fewer Oller and Shaw in charge. Okay, Sue, I'm not really sure that we've got that sort of clout. Re-release start. Ing together. Do this. Or windows bricked. Prod can have fit ass. Love. Sue Paul. Yeah, she's gone. 
How's that working? Sue Pollard's not even dead, is she? Well, not at the minute, but I suppose time travel's easier when you're not constrained by physical space. I think she's coming back from future heaven, because Sue goes definitely goes to heaven, obviously, to um, try and further her own career in these her twilight years. But by interfering in her own past, she could change the pre-existing future and tear the space-time continuum as a result. Yeah, I'm having nothing to do with that. I'll phone Paul Shane in a bit, get him to have a word. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, um, where were we? I know we were here. So we cut now to what Parky describes as the mini studio. It's a van. It is, yes. It's a with van no co- with a curtain. Yeah, yeah, they're just, oh, they're, they're ready for you in the other studio. And I'm like, are they dropping the ball here? Is this like a giveaway that it's a bit of a setup? But no, we cut to it. And there is like apparently a, an outside, but it's basically the portal with a fucking grey felt background. Yeah, yeah. Sit in the shit house uh-huh. and talk to Parky. Oh, and by the way, when you're wearing your earpiece, wear it like a comedy hearing aid with the white wire just hanging down like a tatty old bit of wool. Yes, yes. I, I mean, Rather no than attempts. literally everybody else who's on camera who knows how to wear one. Yes. <laughs> I do like when we're in the studio how um, pretty much every, certainly more, as, more and more as it goes on, where Park, he's talking to Dr. Pasco, he's like, he's got this sort of deadpan scepticism to his approach. He's never like crossing the line. But especially when he's talking to Dr. Pascoe, he's always two breaths away from going, Mind, have you ever thought of going into ventriloquism? Because you're fantastic <laughs> at talking out your ass. I imagine that will come in handy. Go on, Parky, you're overplaying it, but fine. We were talking to uh, Dr. Pascoe. She reveals that she has a bug out. She's got a beautiful bug called right. Angels of the Odd. That's right. Yeah. She's only on there to plug her bug. That's fucking self-published. Look at the cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah? You know, <laughs> she... I'm... Th- what what did they have in? They had um, Microsoft Publisher in nineteen ninety two, didn't they? That bang, that's that there, right there. Yeah, clip art, poltergeists yes. and that, and that's what yeah. come up with. That's, her book, poltergeists and that. <laughs> Mint <laughs> by Pasky Pasco. Yeah. yeah, she loves it. Yeah, she's good. Who was in Never the Twain in brackets? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After she's finished talking about a book, uh-huh. she mentions. A voice recording that they've got. Which, which apparently they took in 1971 by the look of the equipment. Uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> they've wheeled on a real, a real tape player, which is so big they're managing to power a fucking watermill off it. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're talking about this voice and noises that they hear. But I think Parky's talking about could, it, could the child not have just been affecting the noises or whatever. No. Yeah. No. Be- and she very casually says this. No, we filled her mouth with coloured liquid and sealed her lips with tape. But <laughs> this is it. I'm thinking, coloured liquid? Why'd you do that? You weren't filming it. What are you doing, woman? <laughs> Why? You sealed her mouth with tape. Why do you need the liquid? You've been trying to drown a child, a traumatised child. You've been waterboarding a child and you think yes. You've admitted this on television. OK, Lynn. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> Oh, I told you there was real horror in here. And then we go from casually drowning children uh-huh. to raking through a box full of shit. That's right. Ray Bradbury is the uh, prop supervisor on this. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> they've, de- they've definitely got that from his studio, without a doubt. Um, I will say, although, in, in, in defence of Parky at the minute, um, throughout all of this that's been thrown at him, he is delivering an immaculate performance. He is. Still. He is. He's fucking glorious, isn't it? As you, as you said earlier, the word is gravitas it really is and that's about to be tested as we go live to new york to meet emilio silvestri dr emilio silvestri i think you're fine dr emilio silvestri or it's chris barry in a ginger wig (laughs) with a jacket sporting the widest lapels in the history of tailoring yeah one of them's in new jersey um so yeah Dr. Silvestri, he's a, he's live in the New York, uh, not a studio, but they've got like a, a link up there. I like how they've got the NTSC picture quality down nicely. Haven't they? Yes. But, again, as you mentioned earlier, I also noticed that they're talking to someone in New York and there is zero fucking lag yep. on live television. Okay. Yep. Not a one. No, 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 um, no <laughs> defect again, in the sound God either. God bless. 
Silvestri is like he's playing the part of the uh, the skeptic more so than Parky. Yeah. So obviously he's coming up against Doctor Pasco, and again, she's like overplaying her hand Ooh. massively here. Again, academics do not speak with this level of emotional intensity on live television. End of. No, no she's having none of it, is she? Ooh. No. <laughs> what I am wondering though is. Had none of the Saturday Night audience in 1992 watched the offbeat comedy A Very Peculiar Practice from four years earlier? Because Dr. Emilio Silvestri looks a fucking lot like, you know what, I can't go into the details. Maybe his brother is, etc. <laughs> right? I think it's coincidence. It is. It's got to be. There it's got to be. We cut back to the house, and I will say one thing. Mm-hmm. That three-piece is bollocks. It doesn't go over the curtains. <laughs> she, she wants to get herself sorted out. They live in North Holt. You can't assume they got taste. Sorry, North Holt. Sarah Green recants a tale, a ghost story. That's right. About Indian concubines. Yeah, this was weirdly ad-libbed, didn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the actual floor manager's like, this isn't in the script. What the fuck? Yeah. We've got another person in the shithouse with a curtain, and it's a man who wanted to conceal his identity. I can only assume this is because of the jumper he's wearing. And... The fact that he's talking about hockling on a mackerel and shit all over his house, smeared shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's clearly, a ho- he's got a housekeeper with a grudge. That's what's going on here. Well, that's the bit where he talks about, like, um, excrement on the cupboard door and the toilet. I'm thinking, oh, I think he works in the same office I do. Right, yeah, there you go. Mind, can, can I just take a quick aside? I fucking love how throughout this programme, mm. Mike Smith's nickname genuinely is Smithy. Yes. Now, that's the sort of moniker that you'd get in a factory or a warehouse. Just where, you know, things are a lot more sort of casual, bosh, we can't think of something. Out out in the real, actual world with real people, that's a sign that this man has no discernible facets to his personality. Right. We remain outside, and Craig Charles is out and about, talking to the neighbours, and he's he's talking to Yvonne, and Yvonne's not amused. Her her teal anorak is ruffled. (laughs) Is this the neighbours that um, that show that the uh, the early family who were following seem to live in some sort of community for recognisable character actors? I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, but... <laughs> yes, yes, I think it, it, it might be. Yeah, yeah. Of course, as a result of this little segment, we meet Arthur Lacey, uh-huh. um, who's a British rail guard. Another, another beautiful anorak is sported here. He yes. walks with purpose, doesn't he, Arthur Lacey? He does, he does. He almost struts the man. <laughs> He does. He does well. He does very well. <laughs> uh, has nothing of interest to say, of course, um, but that's fine because we cut back to inside the house, and Sarah Green has found a patch of shit on the carpet. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. <sighs> and then um, she's running around with a cloth and smelling the cloth, despite the thought that it might be rancid piss. When uh, yes. when the daughter Suzanne comes in, since she's got the shits, and the question in my mind is. Why have this family got that many dirty dishes in a sink, known full well they're going to be live on national television? Absolutely. Absolutely. Clean the house. The rest of the house is not a shithole, so what's going on here? Anyway, back to studio, and I want to know, that brooch on Dr Pascoe's blouson... Right. Is it a a diamante worm? (laughs) It could be. It could be, yes. You know? We don't have time, actually, to, to figure this out because we get a call from Kevin Tripp um, and he's from the Stereotypes Archive. <laughs> but I, I, I was most impressed by his use of the phrase frightened me to buggery. I was applauding that. I, I, I did that particular. I'm just like, as Parky keeps saying, we're after the watershed. We can use the word. That's fine. That's right. I think something's going to ramp up a little bit. I get a feeling because Sarah Green is raking about behind the bed of the mother in the house. Uh-huh. Yeah, again, my heart's stopping thinking, I don't want to see what's going to be found here. Well, I don't, in particular because what's the woman doing with two full-on hair dryers next to her wardrobe doors? <laughs> They're for the wooden heads. Where they must be. <laughs> it, it was like a cheap remake of the beauty school dropout scene in Greece. <laughs> it was absolute crackers, man. It's absolutely crackers, but speaking of crackers, Pipes is going wild. The thumping starts here. 54 minutes in, and that's it. The plug is out, and there's fucking hell on. 
we're on the home stretch. Yeah. Everything has fallen apart with Faint and with Parry. We've got the prospects of it all being a hoax, but there's still half an hour of runtime left. So this is to cleverly throw the naive 90s television audience off the scent a little bit. Yeah, the ones who haven't looked at the Radio Times and gone, well, this is due to finish at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the same audience who just completely ignored the cast list of actors involved in this production. But that's the yeah. one. That's, that's the one, yeah. yes, yes. The scenes that ensue, I mean, the kitchen scene is like, it's like a Mike Lee's masterclass in improvisation, if you're from Venus. And if you don't understand masterclass, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it certainly feels improv There's fucking hell on. No, there is absolute hell on. And the, this, the chaos that's unfurling here leads to what a lot of people will be thinking anyway. The eldest daughter is banging on the wall like a cracker with a hammer. <laughs> I think we all are at this point, but yeah. Yeah, exposed to hoax. Parky's having none of this. Whoo! <laughs> you just you just wouldn't have it. The daughter's, you know, her reasons for doing this is because she, she wanted to make sure something did happen so people would believe them, mm-hmm. because in the story, you know, they've... they've, they've faced this torment for so long and everyone's so cynical about it and she just wanted to do something to help things along. Yeah, you get it. But Parky's having none of this. Ooh. Yeah, he's having his time wasted. He's not happy. I mean, he's getting paid, but, you know, he's not happy. He's getting paid. But mind you, at this point, his performance is a little shaky. Um, it is think? a little shaky. He's okay. not having it, but at the same time, you wouldn't know it because, God rest his soul, his acting here wouldn't pass an audition <laughs> for Prisoner Cell Block H. But, <laughs> yeah... Um, Suzanne, it wasn't me. Oh, the mother of all lies. We're back in the house. Everyone can mm. hear cats crying, and Suzanne's gone catatonic on the bed. Yes, yes. Now, there is a lot of world building crammed into the last 20 minutes of this programme. Sure. Everything that's going to come out here is nicely on point. But it's, again, it sort of feels like an improv where the performers think they're escalating things, but they're actually just adding details at the last minute, which should have been alluded to earlier. All of this shit is coming out of the blue, everything that's about to happen now. Yeah. And I have to say, that avocado bathroom suite might be the most terrifying thing in the programme. Thank you. Yes. It's Quintessential. So- oh, oh, it sucks the light out of the room far more than any restless soul ever could. Absolutely. So things are starting to happen in the house, but we cut to another member of the public being interviewed in the shit house with a curtain. Yeah. Then there's a tech fault. That's right. And this is... It's a bit awkward. It's its well recreated. Mm-hmm. Um, so they we cut the call, and then some glass shatters. And Parky, bless him, says to the kids, it's time you kids were in bed. The kids are screaming. They're panicking. Don't be scared, he says. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But he's quite dismissive at the same time. I think if he's dismissive, it's because the woman who's actually phoning up to recount her story about the, um, about, about the coffee table... I can't tell from her accent if she's calling from Swansea, Gateshead, or Delhi. Right. <laughs> right. He's right. Again, you know, he's right to have the scepticism on here. <laughs> we hear cats all of a sudden. We hear lots of cats mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. out of the blue. This is quite clever, I suppose. Uh, that all of a sudden the daughter, the screaming in the daughter, is covered in scratches. Yeah. Get a fla- get a flannel. One of them says, "No, it's your child. Get a paramedic." <laughs> Again, a flannel. Why not both? JPEG. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now, youngest child Kimmy wants to talk to Pipes. That's right. <laughs> Sarah Green's like, "Who's there?" And she's like, "It's Pipes." Oh, you know, uh, here's where it really goes up because Sarah Green is talking to camera and she can't hear. There's this fake feedback sound, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the banging. Starts again. And a picture flies off the wall. Wallop. Now, again, there are elements of this section which are fucking fantastic. Yeah. You've got a genuine sense of panic. The coordination of the physical effects presented in this documentary format and the enthusiasm of the cast, because at this point, the overacting is appropriate. I'm fine, yeah. I'm fine with it from this point onwards. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You couldn't... Again, at the... This late in the documentary, you couldn't have the public acting this out, so I get why they've had to approach the local stage school, but there we go. 
Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I credit you there. Um, oh, we, we, we leap into um, a demonic voice segment. Uh, what big eyes you have, says the eldest daughter in a demonic possessed manner. Yeah, that's, that's Suzanne. She's possessed in the corner. As yeah. opposed to Kimmy, who was just sitting behind the fridge because it was behind the fridge. That's right, yes. And the water's f- bursting out the tap. There's water from arsehole to breakfast time in that kitchen. Well, I'm but glad somebody's going to wash the fucking dishes. Again, can you see my notes? <laughs> <laughs> it took the paranormal to do the weshing up, do you know? There we go. Yeah. Um, Shit everywhere. More cats, more screaming of cats. The noise is coming from the glory hole. <laughs> because of course it is. Of course, right? So There's a fucking party going on down there. They prise off the door. It comes off a little bit too easy, that, to be honest. And yeah, then they're like, they're, they're pulling the boards off at the bottom of the stairs. There's like, there's a plank going across. There's boards going up and down. They pull it off. Then the door is behind that. And as soon as they open the door, as soon as they open the glory hole, there's a quick flash burst of the last thing you'd want to see coming out of it. Yeah, and we we get an injury. We get a uh, the the sound man is injured. Is it? Yes, yeah, the sound man. Isn't <laughs> he it? is indeed. Yes, injured at yes. the glory hole. That's right. Yes, um, Lee said. Uh, the live OB goes into absolute meltdown at this point. Um, yes, we have a little jokey segment where Craig Charles doesn't know they're still live. Um, that was a little pointless, I thought, but I think it just adds a little bit more of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It adds reinforcement to the chaos. I think it does. Yes. So while this is all happening, Uh we go back into studio and we get the second phone call, which gives us a little bit more of an explanation into who Pipes could possibly be. Because... In fact, it gives a different explanation, but yes. Well, well, it, it does. We spin back to the first one that happened about 20 minutes ago, but we're all caught up in the excitement, uh, about supposedly some nanny, some wicked nanny. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, lived in the house or visited the house. I can't quite remember. Anyway, she was a bit of a horrific character and, yeah, nasty piece of work. Fast forward to present day, where, again, in a, the past, one of the past lives of this house, somebody had sublet a room to a, 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 a gentleman who, shall we say, is not quite the full shilling. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think the inference here is that that wicked nanny from way back, that Victorian wicked nanny, has possessed this man. Who is that? As ah, a... no, you see, is that what you got? That's fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Because um, by now, I'm thinking they're throwing in stuff about, yeah, her, her name is Mother Seddens, who's basically yeah. like a, a, a Victorian childminder who was killing kids. And then you fast forward to, a, yeah, this guy calling up the studio who says he is a psychiatrist... Um, and one of his patients was from, it's got to be within his memory, so let's call it a decade earlier, who was also yeah. killing kids. But we've also got the CCTV footage from earlier in the evening, which is fooling the main protagonists while atrocities happen on scene. I'm thinking, this is now the mechanics of three separate films. Yeah, absolutely. They're just throwing shit at the wall at this point. They, they, they are. People are sat at home. All they want is their pepperoni pizza and you know, their bottle of wine. And this you, is... This do you know is, what yeah. I mean? You, you've come home early from the pub because this was on and you haven't got a fucking clue what's happening. It's full on. It's absolutely full on. Um, yeah, so this um, this man who this, he was possessed by this wicked um, nanny started wearing dresses and um, he went... He was deranged and killed himself. He hung himself and was eaten by cats. So we're getting all this information. The, the, the house has gone ballistic... In the studio, Pasky Pasco in the studio in the meanwhile, while all this is going on, she notices that we're looking at camera footage of the living room uh-huh. and the picture's back on the wall and they're all sitting around playing Monopoly or something yeah. and nothing's going on. And then she just gets this, this feeling and she says, it's in the machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as if the spirit had got, has got into the workings of the TV studio and everything else. Yeah. Ooh. And then it happens. We get a ghostly breeze blowing through the studio. Scripts go all to hell. Well, you say a breeze, it looks more like a fucking gale. That's right, Pipes is in the studio. Doesn't it? Outside, back to the OB, 
Craig Charles. The acting police turn up. Um, we get our first look at the infrared camera. Uh-huh. Uh, the one that was Green. queued up over an hour earlier, yes. Well, that's right, and everyone's <laughs> forgotten about. Yes. Um, Sarah Green lights a match, or is it a flaming torch? I don't know, because uh, obviously it's going to be accentuated with the infrared, but by God, she looks like Johnny Storm. Anyway, <laughs> she she wanders about the house with this match, but then, boom, the lights go in the studio. They go up like a bomb. Wallop. It's all going on. Studio is in chaos. The people on the switchboard are pissing off. Parky's monologue. He's wandering around the studio, clueless. He looks like Joe Biden before a conference. He's uh-huh. just <laughs> wandering around, talking to himself. I mean, yeah, Phil, the last 10 minutes of this is basically a found footage horror film before that idea really went mainstream. Yes, So again, I've got exactly. to give it props for this. Absolutely, yeah. Um he walks towards the camera, he's reading the autocue, and then, of course, his voice alters to infer the fact that he's been demonically possessed. Difficult to know, even if anybody's still still with us, but if they are, this is the, the scene in this, in this studio, this totally deserted studio. Autocue's working. Round and round the garden, like a teddy bear. Cut to credits. Boom. Right. After all of that, how many pegs? Are you going to place upon the pipes, Blackout? (laughs) Well, it's undeniable that Ghostwatch is a seminal piece of landmark television, which is rightly held in high esteem for what it was trying to do, if not necessarily how it managed to achieve it. Like all supernatural entertainment, buy-in from the viewer is essential to how successful this is, because cynicism and retrospect are the enemy of the suspension of disbelief. Yes, I've read this down. And as we all know, cynicism is my middle name. You should try sitting next to me when I'm watching an exorcism movie. Short version is, I'm sure that Ghostwatch was groundbreaking in 1992 and it's worth watching now as a historical artefact, but it would work better if it had been half an hour shorter and employed unknown actors who'd actually seen a documentary before. Bonus points for Sarah Green, though. Fair play. Six out of nine. Decent. Decent. How about yourself? Uh well, on a similar vein, um, okay, on one hand, what we have here essentially is a badly acted, low-budget piece of drama. On the other hand, it's a brave and experimental slice of television that had never been done before 1992, and in light of today's conservative media climate, probably never will be again. It seems rather tame compared to contemporary events on live, or as live TV. But in its day, this caused utter hell on. Exactly what audiences and programme makers want. Interactive, controversial, a perfect Halloween romp. More, please. Nine pegs. Well, that was unexpected. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I class this as an important piece of television. The actual question that we are getting um, finger written messages on the mirror and the toilet's about, though, Dr. Velvet, is how many times would you bang the pipes? <laughs> Watch is presented by Michael Parkinson, who once found himself coming round to dinner at the house of Cleo Lane, who had only the week before had her gin cabinet emptied by John Thor, who necked his fair share of pints as Inspector Morse in the Fat Chance episode with. A word with you, if you don't mind. Hi, thank you. Nicely done. Right? How many kicks at the glory hole door is it going to take you? (laughs) 
ever the jester in this terrifying terrace is the one and only Craig Charles, perhaps better known, of course, as Lister in The Red Dwarf, where in one episode he was joined by Hugh Quashy, who bellowed his way through a dream of Dracula with... Preggy Mouse. This will suit me nicely, thank you. Very good. Very good indeed. Ooh. Yes, yes, all good. Right. I'm off to batter a prawn ring for a Halloween party later with Lump. In the meantime, Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for deciding to join us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or you can Ouija board or we are PeggyManPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Yes, it's still called Twitter, obviously. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes. It's as spookily simple as that. It really is. This has been the Halloween special of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Thank you muchly for listening. We'll be back very soon with more of the same, but different. Until then... Keep Mountain! Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour.